Mofax with Adam Curry for December 30th, 2019. This is episode number 19. What the heck is this, Mo? What did you send me? This is main source. Yeah. Looking at the front door. Should I know this? Uh, it's a little obscure hip hop from the '90s. So, um, oh no, '90s. I was like building a company, and I didn't give a crap. You know, Bill Clinton got impeached. I had no idea. <laughs> Doing completely different things. Okay, that's nice though. I like it a lot, man. Hey, Mo, how are you? Happy, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, sir. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. We haven't spoken uh, for a little bit. In fact, I was just before we got started. Someone on Twitter was giving us crap, saying, "Hey, where's the where's the Mo Fax?" You guys are slacking. Like, man, it's end it's of the, the year. Holidays, <laughs> we know the M5M goes on the holiday, but we actually uh, tried to do something for y'all. Right. We, we should bring in the B team. I mean, like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The life of a podcaster. Now, do you have a, uh, do you have a nice Christmas? You, you, does a lot of your family come over? Uh, how do I see that? Cause you got, you got like 18 kids. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that I know of. <laughs> no, um, we had a great Christmas. Uh, my mom was um came and came to visit. Uh, she just went home today, so I got I've been loved up. Oh yeah, uh, yeah nice. <laughs> and was sleep deprived due to the kids. You know they get up hella early in the morning. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so. So I'm, I'm running low on sleep and high on love. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, we, we I had my uh, my step uh, stepdaughters were over. Uh, okay. And Christina, is, uh, she was with her mom this year, so she's here next year. And she was in uh, Rotterdam. But it was nice, man. Nice. Uh, pretty uneventful, nice, everyone happy, you know, just enough to drink. Perfect. About the same here, without the drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to MoFax, the last one for this year. And mm-hmm. uh, now you were, we'd kind of left it um, after the last episode. We're like, oh, I'm going to wrap up, end of your stuff. And, and I and I realized, you know, about an hour ago, like I really have no idea what we're doing. So I am ready to be uh, to embark on the journey. This is going to be the Black Vote episode. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about a few things that we promised that we were going to talk about: the Southern strategy, why do Black people vote vote uh, democratically, and why I refuse to vote. Why I'm, uh, I'm abstaining from voting. So I promise to answer those questions, and I think those will be answered in this episode. I can't wait. It should be uh, over in, uh, what, 17 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> so, so so we have, um, let's just get right into it, uh, the history of the black vote and what it means for 2020. In 2020, we think that at least one out of every four votes that are cast in the Democratic primaries for president are going to come from black voters. It's very possible that will be the highest number we've ever seen before. It's very possible we will look back at 2020 and say the black vote was never more important than in 2020. 
to put this in some context, we've put together here something I think is very interesting. Exit polls starting in 1976 from past Democratic presidential primaries. 1976 was basically the first year that media outlets like NBC began sponsoring these primary exit polls, you know, whether it's the New York primary, the New Hampshire primary, the Florida primary. And so we have a record. That record, though, a lot of it has been buried. We have been able to resurface, we think, every primary since 1976 on the Democratic side where there has been a significant black vote in that primary and where an exit poll was conducted, we found it. We've put it all together here, and you get a look here uh, at how the black vote has gone in each one of these competitive Democratic races. And a couple of things stand out. Now that I understand exactly what this episode is going to be about, I want to tell mm -hmm. all the listeners that they are very lucky. You are, you are going to get an education uh, <laughs> that will make you smarter than anybody else you know. Because this, I think, is probably right, and I'm surprised NBC did this, so I can't wait to hear more. This could be a very important lesson. And this is a very important election. Uh, as the, the broadcaster said, one out of every uh, four votes that's going to be cast in the primary is going to be a black vote. Right. Uh, we've already spoke about the numbers in the previous episodes of how they need around 67% turnout for Democrats to be successful in, um, in the general election. Mm -hmm. So they're really dependent upon the black vote. And what this has done is put quote unquote black people uh, in a very power powerful position to make demands. And do you think that this is well known? Does everybody who's black know that this that this power is there at this moment in time? No. Okay. No. Uh, there is a divide of who knows, who doesn't know, uh, who is a, who's possibly abstaining, who is going to vote regardless, and that's what we're going to get into get into as we move throughout this episode, uh, because it's not a monolith, even though it's a voting block. It's not a monolith. So I know it's a weird thing, but. Um, well, no, I mean, this, uh, people have different ideas, different opinions, but it's an active conversation. Yes. And, but when we typically vote, we vote in a block for one party. OK, so that's it's, it's the, called collusion. Is, it's called collusion. Mo. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So the, it's 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 a it's so very unique phenomenon and i think our listeners are gonna be very uh advantaged by hearing us have this conversation excellent going into the 2020 2020 election because they're gonna see as they've seen from previous episodes these things develop real time and they were able to see what was going on as it was happening uh so let's just get into uh number two Number one is just there has been a slow uh, but steady progression in that time, really, you know, 40 plus years right now. You can point to two really kind of specific events. Number one came back in the 1980s. It was in the 1980s, twice in the 84 campaign and again in the 88 campaign where Jesse Jackson, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, launched full-fledged national presidential campaigns in the Democratic primaries. And he said in 1984 that one of his goals in that campaign was to register millions of new black 
voters to get them voting in the Democratic primaries. And he did. You can see that in this data. And then you see it jump again about 20 years later. And that's when Barack Obama wins, when Barack Obama becomes president in 2008. And then through his presidency, you see this kind of sorting out of the two parties, white working class voters, blue collar white voters who had in the past maybe been Democrats. They've migrated more towards the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. The, the role of black voters, the role of non-white voters in the Democratic Party increased from basically uh, the moment that Obama became president there. Wow. When did this air on NBC? This was, I want to say, April, May. Oh, okay. Around April or May. So it was was a little while ago. Yeah, that's really But it went under the radar. Of course. Uh, (laughs) Of course. I mean, even for me, because when I went to go dig for clips, I was like, wow. I mean, he really broke down the numbers. Yeah. Uh, So what we really see here, we have a perfect um, storm happening here. We have the information age of the internet and really the smartphone because that was that made information so much accessible where you had people with laptops um, desktops people wouldn't really get on there to do to do a lot of searching but now with social media and oh, yeah. smartphones I mean, it, obama was supposed to be the internet president but he really wasn't i mean the the internet i mean twitter was around but understanding mm-hmm. how to use it and just the uh the force that social media has become and how integrated it is with mainstream uh, television particularly cable news uh which flows over into print i mean the machine has really built up and so now it's a real thing you can use it it's being it's being used it's being abused and it can also uh, eat your face off yeah and a lot of information is being shared and unearthed uh and then the second part of that storm was barack obama being elected in 2008 2012 Black people felt very disenchanted from those eight years because we didn't receive anything of substance or anything tangible from him being in office. Uh, I, 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 I want to stop you. The term mm-hmm. tangibles for people who are new, let's just explain that because it's thrown around a lot. You said nothing tangible. That's something that we could really see, feel, touch, point to, to say, okay, we saw progress happen. What we typically typically get from the democratic party is feel good stories change uh hope you can believe I mean, change you can believe in hope uh that kind of uh conversation those yeah <laughs> the conversation the, the feel good it was yeah. the you know it's the it's the the feel good thing so so there was what, there was in that, eight years there was zero tangibles that obama brought to the to black america Zero. And as I said before, we only expected something from the last term because we were understanding of the wink, wink, nod, nod. You right. have to get make it to the second term to really cut loose. Uh, when that didn't happen, as I say, very many people became uh, disappointed. Uh, then you factor in Hillary Clinton running against Donald Trump, Donald Trump uttering the Magical words to black people of what do you have to lose? That made black people look and say, huh, what do we have to lose? Right. And from there, now it's about what do we have to gain? So that's where we're at right now. And it's 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 a magical time if you're really into politics and and to see a group of people actually have this maturation 
uh, politically. There was a so, there was a clip circulating on uh, on Twitter today from CBS. Must was Face the Nation. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the guy's name? Garrett. Garrett something or other. And he's sitting there saying, you know, for uh, if you look at uh, what he's done for black Americans, what he's done for um, historically black colleges, he had a whole list of a couple of things. He said, that's uh, accomplishments any president would want on his resume. And it was quite stunning to hear that on, you know, CBS. For the things that Donald Trump has done for criminal justice. Right, um, that was another one. Was also on the list. Where he's, how he's engaged with the HBCUs because because they were stiff-armed by Obama uh, when he was in office. He actually took them for granted and didn't really entertain them at all. Uh, this is well-known. Anybody can look it up. So, yeah. So, when you have these things happening, and we talked about the masculinity uh, portion of it. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. And, yes. In fact, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, well, I don't want to stray too much, but I, was, I started watching Kevin Hart's uh, series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Have you seen mm-hmm. this? No, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard about it, and I, I, I do want to check tell it out. You, I, I mean, there's there's some things I don't like, but I really do like this guy. And uh, at a certain point, it's kind of a reality show. <laughs> I mean, I completely understand how this is made, and I, and I like a lot of the choices he's made. Um, but he has this crew of guys that he came, kind of came up with, from and poor. Um, mm-hmm. And they talk openly about you know how none of them had a dad, and how they're their brotherhood, and they got to watch out for each other. And you can just see that energy, and you can see how easily that is tapped into with a guy like Trump. Yeah. So it's it's several things that we, that Trump was recognized <clears throat> from this the masculine portion of it to black men. That it's just like I said, it, what a time to be alive! Hell yeah! Uh, <laughs> Hallelujah! So let, what a time to be a podcaster, part- Mo. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get to part. Let's get to part three of the uh, next clip. All there as we head into 2020. I think you will see the story. There has been sort of that rising tide uh, in the Democratic Party when it comes to the the size, the clout, the power, the role of the black vote in Democratic presidential primaries in 2020. It'll probably be more important than we have seen to date. Okay, let me identify the uh, the dog whistle here was the rising tide. The rising tide that rises all boats, which I think is no longer believed. And he just forced it in there because it was it was used out of context. So he just kind of <laughs> shoehorned hell? that one in there. What was, what was the point of that? It, it was it was no point. It was just like, you know, uh, let's, <laughs> let's squeeze a meme in here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just trying to fill the time to hit the top of the hour. Okay, I got it. Yeah. People. Anybody out there is listening, working for, near, or any political party, do not use the term rising tide. <laughs> it, it, it falls flat. It, do, it does not work anymore. That was a uh, 20th century uh, meme. <laughs> 21st century, it has the complete opposite effect. I mean, it might come back, you know, in another 10 years like bell bottoms, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> so you had you asked a question about the divides and who's going to vote, who's not going to vote. So one of the divides we discussed numerous times in the show is between men and women. But the one that really hasn't been discussed is the age group Mm. and the difference between the black boomer vote and the black millennial vote. 
Oh, okay. This is so the, I hadn't even this thought is about a, it. This is a this is a real phenomenon and let's get into our <laughs> Can Democrat I I just it. I need to say something honestly. Yes. I just yes. realized that when I think of black Americans, I never really uh-huh. thought about black boomers and black millennials. <laughs> and I, and yeah. it sounds horrible, but I'm just <laughs> it's like I never thought of it that way. Yeah, of course. You got shitty millennials and you got stupid boomers, I guess. And it's and it's a real divide because just a little inside baseball before we get into the next clip. The millennials and not all, but some of the millennials and some of the Gen Xers feel like the boomers did very little with the things that they were given or the opportunities they were given. They think they were sold a bill of goods because uh, integration integration is not really seen as as successful as you would think it would be. Uh, it's actually seen as somewhat as a, as a as a detriment to some people in and and our so a quote unquote community. Wow! So there is a huge divide there between the Black Millennial Gen Xer and the Boomers. Okay. So Black Millennial one. In 2016, millennial turnout increased for nearly every racial group except for black millennials. Pew Research found white, Asian, and Hispanic millennials turned out at higher rates than they did in 2012. Black millennial turnout, on the other hand, fell by nearly five points. That could present a problem for Democrats, many of whom view black millennials as the future of the party. In an Axios interview last weekend, the president of the racial justice group Color of Change raised concerns that Republicans are aiming to win support from a traditionally Democratic subset of voters. He said, quote, President Trump's campaign is handing out literature in black barbershops right now. They're doing micro-targeting on Facebook and have a digital strategy to engage black folks. The Democrats would serve themselves really well to understand in deep ways the power in intersectionality, being specific and clear, will help people understand you're not just talking around them or at them, but talking to them. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'm looking at color of change now. Mm hmm. Who, Who runs this outfit? That is one Mr. Van uh, Jones. Van Jones. Oh, that's who that is. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike him, actually. I don't dis- dislike Van. He's just he's kind of... He's entertaining, though. He's full of crap. He, he's entertaining, he's, but he's an opportunist. He's yeah. a major opportunist, uh, but he sells himself as a radical in that. Uh, yeah, I'll poo. Right. Change maker. You know, I mean, look at the name of the uh, color of change. It's like, no, it's... <laughs> Color of money, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't blame him. It's kind of like yeah, it's good. the logo's cool. Yeah, he's got something going on there. Okay, all right. I have to invest. I'll put it in the show notes. I have to investigate that later. Nice. So what we heard here is the millennial black millennial numbers are down. Yeah. What row? We seen the Black Lives Matter go after Hillary Clinton in 2016. Right. I think that was a crack in the dam. That was the behind because, the behind the stage conversation they had. That one yes, referring to, yes. yeah, I remember that. The, sure. the one they made her uh, acknowledge Black Lives Matter, and then even I think they had a meeting with right. uh, D. Ray and those right, guys. Right, right. That's um, it. That's it. Right. So you have it from a bunch of different angles. You have like the black super woke black millennials saying, "Hey, we want a progressive candidate." Mm. So now you can't run a run of the mill Joe Biden. 
Kamala Harris, Booker, those guys won't get it. So they're willing, they lean towards more of your Bernie Sanders, uh, maybe Elizabeth Warren, but she has some issues with her saying she's Native American. That didn't really sit well with the wokes. So is it also possible that all millennials in general are disengaging because they're so tired of the boring show? That could be a possibility, but as the uh, last clip we played said, all the other millennial numbers are up. Okay, so right. well, we have to trust those numbers then. Yeah, we have have to take them at face value, but that's just that goes to show you. So okay, with that baseline, the, yeah, Houston, we have a problem. We have a huge problem, and now we're starting to get to where that. So we went from uh, 67 to 59. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see where this 8% drop is coming from. And it's really the younger voters. Uh, So let's go into Black Millennial 2. Arisha Hatch joins me now. She is the managing director of campaigns for Color of Change. Arisha, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So what should Democrats be doing in order to win the support of young black voters? Uh, Democrats can do a lot of things. I think in this election cycle specifically, black voters and black millennials want to hear Democratic candidates speaking explicitly to black voters and explicitly about policy proposals and agendas um, that actually help to not only reduce mass incarceration and discriminatory discriminatory policing, but also that are working to address the racial wealth, wealth gap that many of us face. The racial wealth gap. This is the whole point of oh, reparations. Here we go. This okay. is the that that's the that's the politically safe way of saying reparations. Huh. The of the racial, the, the racial wealth, gap. wealth gap. I like. Why haven't I not heard this? So who ha- who's gap. made this a big issue is. The ADOS founders, mm-hmm. Tone Talks, and uh, uh, Yvette Carnell. Interesting, because the first the first hit on, uh, and I do Google for this show, mm-hmm. um, is uh, an article from Forbes. The second is from the New York Times, and then an uh, article from Duke, and then the Ford Foundation. This is an interesting interesting little topic we got here. Okay. Good. Racial so the, wealth yeah, gap. the racial, racial wealth gap. We might that might needs to be a, a whole another show in itself because it's so fascinating. But mm-hmm. that's the that's the gap between the uh, net wealth. So it's not just so it's not wealth. just radical Mo the podcaster who's saying this stuff. It's the it's the millennials. It's it's a lot deeper than we know. Or it, it is it's, surface. It's very deep. Yeah. But. The Democrats have tried to push it down yes. <laughs> and not acknowledge it because they know it's a huge problem for them. It's a major problem. Even the last speaker, she said um, they want. Now, this is where intersectionality doesn't work because she said black millennials want things targeted specifically for them. Right. <laughs> Whoops. That's not inter- Yeah, that's not intersectionality. No. That that's we want something. No rising tide, none of that bull crap. What are you going to trade me for my vote? It's an even exchange, and this is how politics works. 
it's that day is over. It's over. Uh, so the Democrats are going to have to come up with a new strategy. And I just don't think they have. <laughs> they one. better hurry up. <laughs> it's running out of time. And and you have one Mr. Donald Trump. I'll say this before. I said it before. I said it again. We don't know what we're going to get out of a uh, 2020 Donald Trump if, if he wins. No. He's not beholden to his base anymore. We've seen he's done things in the background, like uh, criminal justice reform, things that you mentioned previously. So what would he really do to really change how he's perceived? And I, I'm not saying about any parties or anything, but I think he would do something to fit, to repair his image. Huh. I, I really do. You think Trump could come up with a reparations uh, gambit? I think he could do something tangible. I wouldn't say go far right, as reparations, right. but, but if you can tangible. do anything tangible, uh, which um, and so I understand how how would that how would that rip how would that stone caught what what ripples. In the in the political uh, sphere, uh, it, it would it it would cause an incredible brain freeze because he's racist. It makes no sense that the KKK literally Hitler does this. Yes, <laughs> and it was good people on both sides. Yeah, let's not, let's not forget. Oh, yeah, that. no, fine people, fine people on <laughs> both sides. Fine people, fine yeah. people on both sides. So I, I think we left off at two. Yeah. So let's uh, go on to Black Millennials three. And will Color of Change be endorsing a presidential candidate this election cycle? Um, we're still undecided about whether to endorse a candidate. Uh, it's a very wide field. We fundamentally believe that any candidate that Democrats will select will be better uh, than <laughs> President Donald Trump. And so what we're doing is really focused on talking and engaging black voters, black millennial voters especially, many of whom are not even engaged by the candidates or the campaigns, um, trying to expand the black electorate this cycle. Oh, I see the problem. You just have to talk like this, and then that will appeal to the black millennials. <laughs> so let me get this straight. So the candidates haven't engaged the voter, and you want to talk to the voter. How does that work? I don't know. I, I mean, it, first of all, who who is she again? Where is she from? Oh, yeah, the, the she's color from change. The color, color she's change. From, yeah, color change. She's their spokesperson. She's just a word salad but lady. I'm just saying, she is, but it's certain words she won't use, and that's a little foreshadowing oh, in yeah. the next couple, of, next couple of clips. But I'm asking, I'll ask this question again, and people just think about this. Candidates are not engaging with the voter, and your target is to talk to the voter to say what? Be okay with not being engaged? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a strategy. <laughs> think, think about that. She didn't say I'm going to talk to the candidates to help them engage the voters. No, we're going to target the voters. Yeah. That's a head scratcher. <laughs> All right. So that, and uh, the, the, there's, there's money running around this, this operation. That's the head scratcher. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's what I like. How does that work? <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> it's get them in line. It's, What's the what's the word? What is the word for this podcast when it comes to black voting? Activate. Oh, of 
course. Activate. Yep, that's the activate one. Activate. That's the one. That's what she's talking about. Engage. She didn't use engage. She didn't use activate, but that's what that's, I think that's she meant when she said engage them. You go activate the voter, not change the candidate, not talk to them about policies that could motivate the voter. You go activate the voter. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Black Millennial Four. Yeah, are there any as candidates specifically uh, so far that you think are actually doing a good job in connecting with young black voters in particular? Well, we've definitely seen strides made um, in the last elect presidential election cycle. It was enough for a Democratic candidate just to say Black Lives Matter. What <laughs> folks are really looking for this cycle is more depth, um, a plan and a policy agenda that actually um, moves beyond just criminal justice reform and addresses some of the economic justice concerns um, that we have. Um, and so there are a number of candidates that we believe are taking that seriously. Uh, Mayor Pete, with his Douglas plan. Uh, Senator Warren uh, has been talking specifically about income inequality uh, and problems with housing and gentrification that we think um, are very important to black voters. Um, Senator Booker, even Marianne Williamson on the Democratic national debate stage um, has been really proposing solutions that uh, black folks want to hear. Okay, I had not heard of the Douglas plan yet. Yes, so that's uh, Mayo Pete. Uh, <laughs> that's very inside baseball, uh, Mo. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Oh, I want you to make that clip. That's not from me. That is not from me. That's the Young from, Turks. <laughs> the Young Turks. Was it? It must have been a misspelling. I think it's called. The, isn't it the crawl or what? Are, what is the thing called? Yeah, the, lo- the lower third. The, lower third. The lower third. They actually had, and I sent a screenshot to Adam for verification. They actually called the man Mayo Pete. The R was a misspelling, we think. No. <laughs> no. No. Because they hate they hate they hate Pete over there. That but that's that's pretty racist. It very, very, it very, but I'm just showing you. Hilarious, though. Once again, <laughs> liberals, they will use racist terms. Yes, they As will. I said before, they use the Kunye, and now they're attacking Pete with with the Mayo Pete. You know, we're, we're recording this in the evening for the first time in the history of the show. I think we're a great late night show, Mo. We could be live coast <laughs> to coast with this. This is hilarious. Let, let, let me read... Um, Let me read Pete from Pete for America. This is the Douglas plan with the double S. The decisions we make in the next four years will determine America's path for the next 40. And a great deal of the progress we make on everything from increasing economic freedom to confronting climate disruption will depend on whether we tackle racial inequality in our lifetime. For all our country's forward movement, black people, capital B, in America are still disproportionately excluded from systems of social protection, economic uplift... Ooh, I think I think that's kind of that comes close to the rising tide Uh, and Mm -hmm. and representative democracy while facing shorter lifespans, lower educational attainment and dramatic over criminalization and incarceration compared to their white counterparts. And uh, and so this plan is inspired on Frederick Douglass and comparable in scale uh, to the Marshall Plan. Sounds like reparations mm-hmm. to me. Maybe. 
But the, the problem that uh, Mayor Pete has, he's no good. <laughs> you, 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 Besides that. Not for me, but you saw, you saw how they came after him uh, over the, what was the article from The Root? Uh, MFR or... Oh. I forgot the type. Yeah, I mean, they, they, no. No, no, no. Pete, Pete's uh, no good. He's, uh, well, uh, he's also known as Wall Street Pete. I mean, the guy definitely, he's got, he's, as far as I understand, he as a candidate has flown on more private aircraft than anyone else. And you, so he's not paying for it out of his own pocket. Um, and He's a Rose Scholar. In addition, I think he's a spook. I think he's the CIA candidate. I really do. Yeah, he's meeting the wine sellers. It's like, what? What are you doing, Pete? You mean, like, that, that's what I mean. It's like, where's my invite, Pete? Right, Mayo. So she she brought up Mary Ann Williamson, and we talked about Miss Mary Ann on the show before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and she said her solutions. Hmm. <laughs> that's an interesting word to say. Solutions. I wonder what word you were avoiding to say. <laughs> Black Millennial 5. Uh, you know, I'm curious on that last point, um, because she was someone that did get uh, quite a bit of attention when talking about the issue of reparations uh-huh. specifically. Um, is that what you're referencing when you talk about Marianne Williamson? Nice. Um, yes, we can. We saw from the debate stage that a lot of the work that movements have done over the past several years have entered into the debate. Um, and so, yes, black voters and black millennials especially are looking for candidates that speak explicitly to closing uh, the black income gap, the the black wealth gap. Um, And so folks have been, at least in movement spaces, really excited to see that specific issue raised to to a national profile this election. When's the last time you were in one of the movement spaces? She really didn't want to say that the R word. No, of course not. She just said a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) She rehearsed that solutions. Yeah, Mary Ann has solutions. I mean... Now, Mary Ann Williamson, who... I, and I don't know. I've, is she still running? I, I don't think she's officially dropped I out. I don't, I don't, I don't no. know. But, yeah, I, I liked her. You know, I, I liked a lot of what she said, and she didn't quite get there, but she put a number on the table, you know, $400 million. At least and she a, used the word. She, she used, used the, the word, word. But then, you know, then she was kind of like, and then we need a committee, and it's like, uh, wow, wow, wow. I give credit where credit's due. She did use the word sure. unabashedly. Yeah. Uh, she pushed was, back against Don Lemon. He was like, "How do you get, yeah. how do you calculate that number?" But um, yeah, from a from a from a television and advertising executive standpoint, once she did the talking in tongues in the church, it was all over for her. They could have used that for great ratings, though. Now that I think about it, about it, that, <laughs> easily. <laughs> That would have spiced up the uh, the show. That the show, the, I know. Uh, no. Yeah, no, because they, they wanted to get rid of her so bad. In particular, Fox News, which I don't understand why, because I think she's interesting. Uh, they were like, "Oh, it looks crazy." And then you know, MSNBC, like, oh, what's going on here with Marianne? It's crazy. It's crazy. That bitch crazy. And that was it. Yeah, but it was, she, she's talking about reparation and giving cash. They was like, "We got to get her out of here." But you got to. Uh, yeah. That's but if you look at look. if you look at Survivor or Big Brother, you got to have one mm-hmm. crazy one. You got to keep him around for a bit. You don't kick him off the island right away. If you talking that crazy, you got to go. <laughs> okay. 
because she was pulling them way to the dark side, pun intended. Yes, um, true. <laughs> true. They were like, no, no, we're talking about Yeah, you Douglas can't be Plan doing you can't be doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> no, we're gonna have a meeting for a meeting. That, yeah. Which was that's what HR forty was. Is we'll give them a meeting. <laughs> that's right. About a meeting. <laughs> but <laughs> whatever came out of that HR forty, weren't we were, were we supposed to have the next meeting? And where <laughs> You tell me. Okay. You tell me, Adam. You tell me. I don't know. Impeachment, Trump. Uh, that's all I know. <laughs> so uh, now we're going out to black voters, our central part of the Democratic primary. This is MSNBC, and this is uh, from the Roots, Jason uh, Johnson. Uh, well, Biden is comfortable. Biden is someone that people know. And also, and I've, I've done it a lot of these numbers myself, a lot of this is about age. Older black voters love them some Joe Biden because they're like, okay, he was with Barack Obama and all we want is Trump out of office. The younger voters, uh, millennials. Uh, is that how all uh, older black people talk, uh, Mo? Those I love me some Joe Biden. Isn't that literally a caricature this guy is doing? Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's okay. <laughs> It's MSNBC. They can do that. <laughs> like Fred Sanford all of a sudden. Okay. All, right. all we want is Trump out of office. The younger voters, uh, millennials and Generation X like myself, often want something more, often don't think that Joe Biden is going to be transformative enough. And so the issue that he's going to have is sort of the reverse of Bernie Sanders in 2016. Bernie Sanders got young black voters, couldn't get anybody over the age of 30, right? Basically, Joe Biden's got to figure out a way to get younger African-Americans to believe in him, to understand that he's made changes since the 1994 crime bill. And then he actually has to have a comprehensive on the ground plan, which very few people except for Cory Booker talked about, of how you're going to fight voter suppression. Because even if you've got black people supporting you, if they can't get to the polls or their votes don't count, you're not going to be successful. And that's something that I think if you've got 53 percent of African-Americans saying we support you, you should try and find a way for them to actually get there and cast a vote. Okay, uh, do we get to talk about this for a second about the black voter suppression? No, not really. Because I, I, to be honest with you, that's so low on the list. I mean, it's really—is it a real thing, Mo? Because well, of if you, if a, a you voter ID, driver's license, yes. You know, we us black folks, we have trouble uh, getting driver license uh, or IDs. Uh, is this true? That's, that's not true. No, that's not true. But no. that's the meme. That's the that's the meme. Uh, yeah, you know they they have problems getting IDs. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's insulting. This is nuts. It's so it's it, and well, this is well, what well, well, people on, are hearing. How come I never hear any black person say that's stupid? That's insulting. Because they don't give us the mic. You're hearing it now. That you, you give me a twenty-seven dollar mic. Now you're hearing it, <laughs> and you know, but it sounds like a thirty dollar mic. I, 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 it's a snowball killer. <laughs> Onward, okay, okay. No, wait, I'm, just set it straight because we know no one ever stops and mentions that. And says, what is this voter suppression? And it's it's literally it's, it's literally well, you know, it's hard for them to you know if it's about if you have voter ID laws, that's suppression. Like, okay. Just oh. for a little background, Mr. Jason, uh, I keep Jason Johnson. Johnson. He was he was one of the uh, he's from the root, mm-hmm. and he was one of the uh, Russian botters. Oh, okay. Just to give you context, okay. he was a Russian botter. Okay, I got you. So I mean, right. this is why you this is why you don't hear it. <laughs> These people are when you see them on MSNBC or NBC or whatever mm-hmm. major outlet, they are towing the party line. They're no kidding. 
Go talk to the voter. He's a professor. Don't talk to the candidate. He's a professor of political science. Mm-hmm. All right. All, all two clips is, ago. Yeah. Go yeah, two clips ago. Go talk to the voter. Don't talk to the candidate. I mean, we do we see what's going on here? We do. So, yeah. So, of, this, of the same ilk uh, is this next lady. I didn't get her name. Uh, I think it's uh, Donna. Yeah, I mean, this is where you come to this question of younger voters who really think in terms of intersections. They don't just think about, you know, sort of where's the guy who's been with a black guy. And um, and I think that that provides an opportunity for a lot of the other candidates to eat in there and turn that vote out. I mean, that that vote basically didn't really show up in 2016. And this is a real opportunity. And the other thing is, for you know, for Joe Biden, he's got to start looking at what he's doing and saying, what am I going to do? Uh, to try to energize and galvanize this vote. But I look at some of these candidates who are putting out proposals that will be really appealing uh, to that uh, those younger voters. And so I see that as an opportunity to grow. And, you know, when, when Donna says those voters stayed home in 2016, the consequences of staying home in 2016 was Donald Trump. And I think that this is, again, another indication of voters being realistic about the consequences of not using their vote properly. And the- <laughs> You know what? I have an idea, Joe. We'll attract the the young black millennials by uh, calling it the No Malarkey Tour. That'll work. (laughs) That'll that'll reel in, Joe. Joe has his barrio boomer dust. I mean, but he's struggling with he's struggling with the millennials. Uh, No kidding. (laughs) And and Bernie Sanders. I mean, he has the black millennial vote. They obviously they love. Uh, Bernie Sanders. I mean, he's a uh, icon or, or you know, this ideal candidate for, uh, for what they believe. Well, in. Well, I mean, he's promising a lot of free stuff. That's always good. Yes, free free stuff always is a good thing. But, but what about what about Andrew? Back. Andrew Yang has got something really tangible. I mean, for everybody, thousand dollars a month. He, he has that math problem, sir. <laughs> okay. I mean, how to pay for it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and 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 they don't like Yang. I don't know why they don't like Yang. I I, I really don't. I mean, he seems like <clears throat> he seems like a good candidate to get behind, but they nah. want to push Biden. Yeah. No, oh, no, no. I mean, he's he's no good for the party. He's just no, 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 no. If you it, don't think so? No, I don't. No, the party doesn't want him. No, 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 no. He's sneaky. He's sneaky. Silicon Valley sneaky. And oh, okay. And okay. by and by sneaky, I mean he wants a value added tax. And he says we can do half mm. of what Europe is. Okay, Europe is twenty one percent for so everything you buy in the store. Add twenty one percent to that, and you're going to pay for that right then and there. He says, well, we can do with half. Yeah, but I know. How, I remember when uh, value added tax was twelve percent. In Europe. And then I remember when it was uh, 15 and 17, 18, then 18 and 19, and now 21. So, no. That's, that's why sneaky. I love doing the show with you. It's sneaky. It's, it's sneaky. So, no. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not going to happen. So, he has the same problem that Elizabeth Warren has. That, yeah, but she, uh, but she, she just, the, yeah, at least, he's, he at least says it. And Elizabeth Warren, she's like, no, I'm not going to tell you about the tax part. Your cost will go down. She's just telling you how mm-hmm. to how to calculate your taxes. So now she blew it on that, I think. So, so for the first portion of the show, I think we clearly identify why the black vote is so coveted 
and why it's so important to whoever the winner or loser is going to be in 2020. So we always have to go back. Well, hold on. Uh, Can't we just call in Jay-Z and Beyonce? Can't they bring the black vote? Didn't work in 2016. They had had LeBron James, Jay-Z, Beyonce, uh, Chance the Rapper, all that Hillary Clinton's like, I think like two days before or a day before the, the election, no dice. Well, mm, John Le- they didn't have John Legend. <laughs> John Legend's always on call. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's waiting for the call. He's like, you call? He's checking his phone. You call me? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Was I needed? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, they have everybody, but the younger voters are smarter and it's transactional now. Right. And you can't come with wooden nickels anymore. And these promises of rainbows and, you know, <laughs> glitter and all this. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you don't understand what I'm saying, but sure. like these, this FUD, the warm fuzzies. Oh yeah. You're going to, you're going to feel great after you vote for it. What are you putting on the table? Right. Not only are the millennials asking that the, a good portion of the black male vote is asking the same thing. What are you going to put on the table? So now this is why we had had a conversation on previous shows. Why, who they're targeting women, uh, women. Because they can say, this is a first for you. We can have a first black woman. We can have a first black woman, a uh, female vice president, you know, that kind of thing. Right. You know, it's, it's still a first there. After Barack Obama, like it's there's no there's no more, you know And I think it's pretty well established that the general thinking within the Democrat Party is whatever <clears throat> whatever white guy is nominated, it's gonna be Stacey Abrams who is vice president that can't pay. It has to be. That, that, that's pretty universally known, yeah. Uh so now we have to go back and talk about the history of vote on uh, voting rights, and this is according to the New York Times. In this scene from the 2012 movie, Abraham Lincoln spells out the terms of Reconstruction. All they heard was the first time any president has ever made mention of Negro voting. In 1865, he said freed slaves who were intelligent or had served as soldiers should be allowed to vote. The 14th Amendment, passed in 1868, guaranteed this right as part of the full citizenship accorded to African-American men. But for much of the 20th century, voting remained a contentious issue. The 19th Amendment, ratified in 1920, gave women the right to vote. But the racial divide remained. I'd love that you pull these clips. That's great. So what I'm setting up here is why the boomers feel it's an obligation to vote. Because they're closer... Connected to to history. Yeah, to the historical struggle, of course. Yeah. They actually, you know, 60s, they were there. Where the millennials don't have that context. And it's like, I wasn't there. You know, I've always had the right to vote. So I'm going to be more um, selective with my vote. Yeah, (laughs) callous callous and more selective with my vote. Whereas the boomers say, you have to vote. You have to vote. I mean, and and this is not something no, no, that I and, read in a book and, somewhere. And this, this is a, but this is a critical thing to understand uh, because it, when, this is only just before I was born. No, just as I was born, you mm-hmm. know, really when a lot of these things came into play. But even if you go back two generations, 
you know, you're so right. Black Americans have not had this right, and it's fresh. Just a personal, just a personal anecdote. If you think about it, my dad, right? He he was uh, born in '51, so like he was able to vote in the very end of the '60s. His dad may have been heckled, or it was a struggle for him to vote, right? So when they have that conversation between those two, it's like, yes, from my grandfather to my father, son, you have to vote because yeah. we just got this right. You had to keep the ball rolling. And whereas with the conversation, say, between my, me and my dad, he's always pretty much had the right to vote. I've always had the right to vote. <clears throat> so now it's about what are we going to get What are you going to do vote? with it? Right, exactly. And what will we are we willing to do if we don't, if our demands aren't met? And it's hard for my dad to say, no, I won't vote. I understand that. That makes total sense. So this is why Joe Biden's boomer numbers, I, don't, I say boomer, you're saying tongue in cheek, but this is why his numbers are so high with that right. black age group. Yeah. And this is why they're struggling with the black millennial. But let's get into the history of the uh, voting rights, too. Some states continue to limit voting, either through measures like the poll tax or direct intimidation of African-American voters. In the South, there were even whites-only primaries. This is Sam Tannenhaus of The New York Times. The first modern Civil Rights Act was signed by President Eisenhower in 1957. It created a federal commission authorized to enforce voting rights. Senator Strom Thurmond conducted the longest filibuster in history, more than 24 hours, in an effort to thwart the bill. But it passed. The location for the meeting was Senator Ribicoff. Still, voting was not equal for all. Massive resistance in the Deep South was organized to keep blacks from the polls, and legal enforcement was hampered by all-white jury. Hmm. This is why I get so irked about modern-day voter suppression, quote-unquote voter suppression. Right. When people of my grandfather's age could have been beaten, even their lives taken for going to vote. They were made to pay poll taxes. They were made to take literacy tests. Uh, even things as asinine as how many like jelly beans are in the drawer kind of things. So when you say modern day voter suppression, it's like, when you equate those two things, it's so disrespectful yeah, and to the older black voters. Yes. And to think that one <clears throat> or two generations after that uh, would care so little that uh, they can't even figure out how to get an ID card. Yeah, or to check to make sure you're still on the roll. I mean, if we're saying right. this right, it's so important to us. Right, right, right. Going down to where City Hall and make sure you're on the rolls and getting your ID and make sure, of course, we we know gerrymander happens and they play with the voter rolls on both sides. I mean, this happens. Yeah. But if you say voting is so important to you as a right, just doing those small checks to make sure you have that right to exercise it, even if you write yourself in, whatever. Uh you would think you would take it more seriously, but these people come along and say, oh, yeah, it's voter suppression. 
dude, that is so, it's just a smack in the face to the people two, three generations ago that really, whose vote was suppressed. Yeah. So I mean that that irks me, and that's why I didn't address the voter suppression thing until I got right. Well, it's it's, I, it's one of those things that people just talk about. Just like you know, you say vote uh, voter suppression, it's like saying comprehensive immigration reform. It's meaningless. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, common sense gun laws. I can go on forever. It's like it, it's meaningless. It's completely meaningless. But it's said it's said to uh, invoke. A certain mind picture, of course, of course, of white cops standing there, you know, blocking the polls. Right. How many uh, jelly beans? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was real. I mean, like read, read this. You know, it, that's not what happened now. But then when they equate the two, I, I, yeah. I it irks me. I got it's a pet. It's, it's a pet peeve of mine. I, I will, but, uh, I will continue to call this out when I see it. Please do. Thank you, sir. Okay. Uh, History of the Voting voting Rights Part 3. Voting rights became a central issue in the civil rights movement. I think this march will go down as one of the greatest... In 1965, uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. led the march from Selma to Montgomery for better voting laws. The nation was shocked by images of the marchers being attacked. And less than five months later, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It barred states and districts from curtailing the vote on the basis of race, color, or language. It is wrong, deadly wrong, to deny any of your fellow Americans the right to vote in this country. Sections 4 and 5 of the bill included special provisions to ensure fair voting practices in a number of states, most of them in the South. Voting rights advocates say some citizens there continue to be disenfranchised. But the Supreme Court's close ruling on Tuesday, striking down Section 4, suggests that conditions have changed since 1965, and it is left to Congress to reconsider the act. Yep. There it is again. Yep. Voters' rights still uh, disenfranchised. So, I mean, so this goes from the history of the voting rights, and it starts, the end of that last clip starts to bleed over to explain why the majority of black voters uh, are Democrats. Actually, probably have to go back over a century to start begin telling the story, right? African Americans start out when when they become uh, essentially enfranchised. Uh, you know, they do so because of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, and therefore African Americans um, sort of by default become Republicans because that is the party of emancipation. The Republican Party, while it's in favor of emancipation, is not really a natural place to put African Americans, especially. Especially as the as the Republican Party goes through the late 1800s and early 1900s, and goes through some sort of realignments inside itself, and turns away from a possible progressive move with Theodore Roosevelt, and becomes increasingly in the early 20th century more the party of white collar business interest, upper class interest. Well, that's one way to explain it. 
Quick question, sir. Do you hear me ring my bell? Yeah, I, I heard you laugh a little bit in the background. Yeah. I Why heard, do you think I rang my bell? I mean, I just want to. It starts off with the church. Brain. It starts off with the church right away. It's the same exact song. These are two different news organizations. Yeah. The first set of three clips was the New York Times. This clip is a, a set of clips from Newsy. And they all use the same song. Which song is it, though? We shall overcome. Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like a mind control trigger. I mean, I'm I'm being no, I really hear, serious. No, here. I hear you because it, it it immediately caught me. I, I heard it. I heard you ring the bell, and I didn't even hear what song it was. I'm like, oh, I get it. I know where I am. It's a, it's a, it's like a portal to take you back to the civil rights time. They need to and throw they an ama- yeah, they need to throw an amazing grace in there too, though. Once in a while. Well, no, it's the it's the we it shall overcome. That's that's the meme. That's the <laughs> we shall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, the New York Times uses the same exact song, so they they are aware of what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, to trigger to trigger these emotions, and that's what they want. They want emotional votes. They don't want educated votes. They want emotional votes. But well, uh, this is this is into, this is politi- yeah, this is political campaigning in general is always playing at the emotions i mean of, of course and and of course and, and we and we buy our we vote for our politicians just like we buy our washing powder as long as, as long as long as the message is repeated a lot then we get into it i agree i agree with that uh so uh majority two but now you get African-Americans moving into the North where, where they can vote, and they begin to find the, the appeal of Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal very attractive. They begin increasingly to identify with the Democratic Party. Um, doesn't happen overnight, right? Partisan attachments uh, take a while to erode during the late 30s and early 40s and late 40s to turn from a party that had been held hostage to states' rights in the South to one that was willing to embrace civil rights. You see that in the behavior of Harry S. Truman, right, who's going to integrate the armed services by executive order in, in, after World War II. You see that in the 1948 Democratic Convention. Then Senator Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota gets up and says, it's time for us to walk out of the shadow of states' rights into the bright sunshine of civil rights. At the same time, the Republican Party is struggling with its history of um, emancipation and civil rights. You get someone like Dwight Eisenhower, who says that integration, desegregation should go slow. Okay, that was 48? Yes, so there's two things that they uh, attributed to, as of right now, pre-civil rights, that uh, made blacks majority Democrats. One being the the New Deal, FDR's New Deal, right, and then the integration of the armed uh, armed services during World War Two. Got it. Those are the two things pre Civil War. So, uh, and then they say with the Eisenhower, he said that uh, integration needs to go slow. Slow, yeah. Which I've discussed this before on my show. I am not a fan of forced integration uh, in uh, governmental or schools or things of that nature. And I don't because think, I th- I, yeah, I think historically this turned out not to be a super great idea. No, I, and, and I just to speak personally, my dad had to leave an all-black school in his senior year and was forced 
to go to integrated school. And he hated it. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. So forced and, and, and just not taking up for Eisenhower. I'm just saying that is, I think that's a more popular belief or more popular sentiment that people want to let on when you use uh 2020 hindsight vision. Yeah, well, uh, we, we we learned a bit about that uh, in regards to Kamala Harris bringing that up against Joe Biden. So it, mm-hmm, I think people mm-hmm. are a lot more aware than than they were. Yeah, and that's this is one of the benefits of the information age that right. we, we we previously talked about at the beginning of the show. So uh, majority three. That sort of personifies some of this movement of the Republican Party away from its traditional belief in civil rights and extending rights to African Americans, especially by, by the mid-1960s. You get Lyndon Johnson, who's going to take the lead on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Voting Rights Act of 1965. And by that point, the ship is cooked, right? The Republican Party um, opposes it. Its standard bearer, Barry Goldwater, opposes it in 1964. He calls it a piece of communistic legislation. At that point, I think the door closes, right? Uh, at that point, African Americans who are politically active are, are Democrats. Hmm. This, the, the switch. Yeah. The, the switching parties. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I've never heard it explained like this, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to process it because this is the whole, you know, what happened? Well, you know, you've, you hear, you know, how this switch happened. Well, who switched? Was it the voters who left or did the party switch? You know, it's this, it's this very murky way it's explained. In, I've heard it explained many different ways. Not exactly like this, though. Well, this is the left Democratic explanation sure. for why black voters vote Democrat and they they kind of they didn't use the term Southern strategy, uh, but as you always know, I always like to counterbalance <laughs> yes. any narrative with a uh, with a narrative or a at least an explanation from the opposite side. So then we can go down the middle and kind of find where the where the truth really is. Right. So I went over to PragerU. <laughs> That's, that's that's a go-to source one of our right-leaning go-to sources uh and miss carol swain miss carol swain let me look up her uh information here is a professor she is a professor of political science at vanderbilt university and she's a black lady so be it i'm just saying just hold that into thought as we get her to explain the Southern strategy. Once upon a time, every student of history, and that meant pretty much everyone with a high school education, knew this. The Democratic Party was the party of slavery and Jim Crow, and the Republican Party was the party of emancipation and racial integration. Democrats were the Confederacy, and Republicans were the Union. Jim Crow Democrats were dominant in the South and socially tolerant Republicans were dominant in the North. But then, in the 1960s and 70s, everything supposedly flipped. Suddenly, the Republicans became the racists and the Democrats became the champions of civil rights. Fabricated by left-leaning academic elites and journalists, the story went like this. Republicans couldn't win a national election by appealing to the better nature of the country. They could only win by appealing to the worse. Attributed to Richard Nixon, the media's all-purpose bad guy, 
This came to be known as the Southern Strategy. You know, sometimes I think because it, it's just not it's just not clearly laid out how this happened. I think mm-hmm. that when they when they killed Kennedy, the trauma was so great that there's like a like a collective memory hole, kind of around that period. And then with Johnson and everything, it's just like, I'm like, okay, here we are. And- this is this is how it. Is. Dust is cleared. We're the Democrats. We're your friends. And they rewrote Johnson in history from who he actually was when we, I, I think several of our listeners and maybe you have heard the Johnson tapes. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was he, not he, this. Super uh, racist. The guy's a super he, racist. He was saying horrible right, shit. Uh, he wasn't this civil rights, civil rights freedom fighter uh, no. that they paint him out to be, especially in this HBO uh, movie they made. Yeah. Oh my God, they made him out to be like a douche. Oh, it was a total dick. All right. Yeah. So, so what we're gonna do is, as you pointed out, they brushed over this thing called a Southern strategy, and it's just widely accepted as truth. Well, yeah. Miss Carol Swain, um. She's going to break down the myth or myths of the Southern Southern strategy. It was very simple. Win elections by winning the South. And to win the South, appeal to racists. So the Republicans, the party of Lincoln, were to now be labeled the party of rednecks. But this story of the two parties switching identities is a myth. In fact, it's three myths wrapped into one false narrative. Let's take a brief look at each myth in turn. Myth number one, in order to be competitive in the South, Republicans started to pander to white racists in the 1960s. Fact, Republicans actually became competitive in the South as early as 1928 when Republican Herbert Hoover won over 47% of the South's popular vote against Democrat Al Smith. Yes. I I think I've seen this whole uh, Carol Swain bit. I think it's very mm-hmm. familiar mm-hmm. to me. So yeah, this sounds right. And I I remember looking this up in reliable places like Wikipedia and confirm, confirming that it was right. <laughs> <laughs> but this goes to show you that there's a counter narrative to what was widely accepted. Of course, and this goes to explain why millennials. Some not being woke, some actually being more conservative. Yeah. Uh, this is more ammunition for people to say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, when I'm talking to my dad, I mean, we're going to use this analogy of me talking to my dad because I'm a, I think I'm a borderline millennial and Gen Xer. I'm not sure where the cutoff is, but I'm not a boomer, but no. uh, I'm a non boomer. Uh, my dad's a boomer. So when we have these conversations, I'm like, hey, dad. And he'll break out the Southern strategy. Right. And I'll be like, I'll top your Southern strategy <laughs> with, <laughs> with Miss Carol Swain, a black Southern lady. That's a boomer. So, I mean, it, it works out. <laughs> it works out great because now I have this information to, you know, uh, enlighten him. That How'd that go over, Mo? Wildly- <laughs> huh? How's that go over when you do that to your dad? It must work out great. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, he's going to vote regardless. So, I mean, that, <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's going to vote. So, uh, yeah. So, and, and they, they, that's once again, this is why Biden's numbers are so strong because they don't want to hear it. This exactly. is what we've done. Exactly. Um, this is what we've done, and this is what we're going to do. 
But for people out there, we're going to break down the myths for you. And let's go into myth number two. Myth number two. Southern Democrats angry with the Civil Rights Act of 1964 switch parties. Fact. Of the 21 Democratic senators who opposed the Civil Rights Act, just one became a Republican. The other 20 continued to be elected as Democrats or were replaced by other Democrats. On average, those 20 seats didn't go Republican for another two and a half decades. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I have seen this. And she has a graphic with that. It makes it even clearer when you see it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, undeniable. Yeah. So how does that work out? Where, where was this swap? Where was this, where was this uh, flip? Uh, it's in the, it it's, didn't exist. It's in the book, man. Shh. It didn't exist. <laughs> uh, but we all know when you say something long enough, it'll just be accepted as, as truth. And it's kind of hard to... Uh, break the condition. And it's really uh, astounding because I, I I know that I went after this story for about a month or six weeks on no agenda. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I got so many different versions of, of the switch that people had heard and confirmation that, yeah, this, you know, because I played pieces of this PragerU bit. And like, mm-hmm. oh, and, you know, oh, yeah, that's what I heard. But now that I hear this, it's something completely different. This is this is snuck into history and it's a rewrite. It really has been rewritten in in different ways, but the result is the same: a switch. And but she she's using cold hard numbers. You you can't beat numbers, but people would just write it off like yeah. um yeah whatever Cons- she's compromised conspiracy, conspiracy or, theory uh, re- crazy right. religious <laughs> Republican Trump. <laughs> Uh huh. All those, all the above. She, she's she's lost her mind. Yeah. All right. But let's just uh, for poops and giggles, let's uh, listen to Miss Carol Swain and the third myth. Myth number three: Since the implementation of the Southern strategy, the Republicans have dominated the South. Fact: Richard Nixon, the man who is often credited with creating the Southern strategy, lost the Deep South in 1968. In contrast, Democrat Jimmy Carter nearly swept the region in 1976, 12 years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And in 1992, over 28 years later, Democrat Bill Clinton won Georgia, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. The truth is, Republicans didn't hold a majority of Southern congressional seats until 1994, 30 years after the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Well, that's the facts. But I mean, as we know, matters not. Uh, but it's our due to have our due diligence. Uh, we have to counterbalance the, the narrative. And, and there you have it. And anybody that wants to use this information uh, at any family function, have at it. Uh, I, <laughs> Godspeed. Yes, we 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 feel that weddings are very appropriate for this. This is a good time to break it out. And you just, just have a headphone. Hey, listen to these guys, and you just cue up that bit. It'll fantastic, guaranteed fun. So, but at the at the time that this was going on, there was somebody calling this uh hypocrisy out, and it was one of my favorites. Mr. Malcolm X and one of his one of 
I think one of the greatest speeches, even over, uh, this is my personal opinion, even over I Have a Dream. And this was the ballot and the bullet speech. Ballot or the bullet The political philosophy of black nationalism only means that the black man should control the politics and the politicians in his own community. The, the time... The time when white people can come in our community and get us to vote for them so that they can be our political leaders and tell us what to do and what not to do is long gone. By the same token, the time when that same white man, knowing that your eyes are too far open, can send another Negro into the community and get you and me to support him so he can use him to lead us astray. Those days are long gone. <laughs> oh, really? They came back for a bit there. Doesn't it sound eerily like the times we're in right now? No kidding. No kidding, Mo. And this is what year was this? This speech? 1964. 64. This is, this is after he left. Um, let me get the information on this speech. This was after he left the Nation of Islam mm-hmm. in 1964, uh, April 12th. Uh, he gave this speech at the uh, King Solomon Baptist Church in Detroit, uh, Michigan. Uh, but he even, he even basically pointed out the boule. Oh, yeah. In there, because he said for the people to even have their eyes open, they're going to send leaders that look like us yep. to get your vote. So, I mean, it, Hello, Barry. it was quite clear. Yeah, he, it was quite clear <laughs> that even real time people were aware of what was going on, right, of what was going on. That's why I followed up this uh, Miss uh, Carol uh, Swain with this set of clips because people are like oh that's a rewrite of history and she's cherry picking history well we have one of the most uh, renowned black leaders refuting uh refuting it yes so uh let's 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 let him continue uh ballot or the bullet too we must we must understand the politics of our community must know what politics is supposed to produce. We must know what part politics play in our lives. And until we become politically mature, we will always be misled, led astray, or deceived or maneuvered into uh, supporting someone politically who doesn't have the good of our community at heart. So the political philosophy of black nationalism only means that we will have to carry on a program, a political program of re-education to open our people's eyes, make us become more politically conscious, politically mature. And then we will, whenever we get ready to cast our ballot, that ballot will be be cast for a man of the community who has the good of the community at heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's scary. It's how it's just, if you were to publish these words right now in 2020, it's like he's it's like he's talking. We're now. at the same right. We're at the same uh, crossroads. Well, it 
it's a fractal and and in an in a very interesting nice way you are uh, you are a part of that fractal mo so this is uh, this is a good thing to see it's a beautiful thing to see really cuz I, I knew of this speech i mean I, I i've heard it numerous times but just to hear it and like now to hear it right now yeah it's, it's like uncanny. he could be he could be talking about what's going on right right now and it's just it's a, it's wonderful in one way and another way is just that Wow, it took this long? It's like, it's like, because this is 55 years, because I was born in 1964. Yeah. Oh, shit, I'm part 50, of the fractal, too. Ooh. It took 55 years for us to get to the, 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 the maturing point. Yeah. Uh, but that, Well, but congratulations, of- MoFax. How does it feel now that you're politically mature? <laughs> It feels great. It feels great, you know, with the team effort. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, but it does feel great because what we see here is the internet. Yep. The, the one of the greatest inventions of all time, the internet has defeated the propaganda machine that has kept down people in all walks of life. And all, you know, uh, we can go back and pull data and pull clips and put it together and actually find what the truth was. Uh, so I'm just going to let him continue. I mean, he's a roll right now. So uh, <laughs> come on, uh, Dad, Martin. Martin. <laughs> well, this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a a do-it-yourself philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, It's already too late philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. I'm so happy that this particular recording exists because a lot of the recordings of Martin Luther King suck. And this is mm-hmm. this is nice. I mean, the audio's good. I and mean, of course, it's got its scratchiness, but you can really hear him incredibly well. And again, everything he said here, I mean, he might, have been, he might as well call himself uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Mofax. And the funny thing is, is that's the meme that I was telling you about before that I've seen conservatives post of Malcolm X talking about liberals. Right, right. I've I, I mentioned it several times in the show, but that is the one. But also, uh, talking it, but about- it's also doesn't, doesn't he say in this, in the, is it in this speech where he says, uh, the conservative doesn't give a crap about you anyway, <laughs> either. Yeah, he you, does say that, but hey, no, no, no. We, we're just going to clip it down to when he's talking about the liberals. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how memes work. I mean, come on. Gotcha. I'm with you. I'm with you, brother. I'm, I'm with you. We're this gonna, is we're how gonna, it works. We're going to cherry, uh, we cherry pick cherry what, pick what we can pick. use yeah, to, to use against the, the liberals. Of course. I mean, but it's, it's weird because I was like, what? I, like, you know... Um, Hardcore conservatives are using Malcolm X. Who would have thought that in, in the twenty you know, first century? Wow! You know when I <laughs> when I was growing up, there used to be Malcolm X T shirts. You don't see those anymore. 
Oh, I will say this, and I, and I don't want to get too far off because I know what I'm saying. It has been disgusting what a few aca- uh, members of the uh, black academia has done to the name of Malcolm X. One being Mr. Michael Eric Dyson. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. And I'll just leave it at that. You know what I'm saying? People can go look up for themselves. They, when you are the boule, yeah, everything is fair game to tear down right. if it's harmful to the people that you're protecting. Now, and I'll just leave it at there. But it's just disgusting. Well, um, that's, we're we're bookmarking it because in 2020 we got to come back to that. Yes, I will come back to that. I will, and maybe sooner than than, than, than thought. Uh, but I think we left off, left off at three. Uh, uh, let's yep. get into f- four. Yep, four. loom to be such an explosive political year because this is the year of politics this is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the negro community you never see them until election time you can't blame them until election time they're going to come in with false promises and as they make these false promises they're going to feed our frustrations and this will only serve to make matters worse I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a Republican, nor a Democrat, nor an American, and got sense enough to know it. Now, what did he say at the end there? Not American. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm not American. American. And have sense enough to know it. And what he means by that is he's not recognized. No, I totally totally understand what he means. I'm I'm explaining for people that, you know. I'm sorry. We'll say it again because I interrupted you. Yeah. No, he's not accepted into the American dream, into the fabric of the Constitution. So he's like, I'm. And what you have to do is put that in context of, of course, Dr. King and I have a dream and the, you know, civil rights movement. He's like, no, don't be uh, fooled. Right. To think you're, 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 um, you're only being used because you can activate the vote. Even back then it was, yeah. all, it, was <laughs> it was about activating right. the vote. Yeah. Um, so, um, bullet five. 22 million black victims of Americanism are waking up and they're gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they become, uh, develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in these uh, political elections. They see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, uh, the race is so close, they have to go back and count the votes all over again. And that, that, which means that any black any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're, you're in a position to determine who will go to the White House and who will stay in the doghouse. <laughs> you're the one who has that power. Here's what Trump should do if I was advising him. Use that <laughs> line. You want to be in the White House, you want to be in the doghouse. What a great one that would be to resurrect. This is the block. Yeah, and of this course. Is this why is the, the, I say uh, yeah, the don't vote. Right. It's the origination of the block. Sure. We have so much power right now because the country is so evenly divided that this this is one time where the monolith of the block or whatever you want to call it 
is valuable because and, and if we can move in one direction or the other, it'll be noticed. That, <laughs> it'll be that's noticed. the way the country goes. Yeah. However, our vote goes is I'm talking about 2020 here. However, our vote goes or don't go because we have to talk about the negative vote again. Uh, Republicans just need us to stay at home. They yeah. don't need us to come and vote. And to go back a few clips ago, they were saying that uh, the Trump campaign is putting out uh, information, targeted information on Facebook and in barbershops. This message is getting around. So, you need, so wait a minute. Do you, so Trump is is campaigning with flyers in barbershops? Is that is that what you said? I don't I don't know how that goes. I haven't seen a Trump flyer in a barbershop, but but they're reaching I, out. Right, hmm. because that's the that's the political form. Uh, one of the major political forms in the black. Community. Oh, it's the barbershop. It's, yeah, it's the barbershop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any, any any community, but more Mo, so. Oh, I've seen Eddie Murphy movies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get the it. Mom and Clay, I'm calling Clay. <laughs> <laughs> I could be your so, Arsenio. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, people. Don't think about 1964 when you hear these clips. Think about right think now. Think about 2020. Yeah. Think about right now and what he's saying. Um, and bullet six. You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. When you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, de- to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years. And all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last. Chump, fantastic! And, and now again, this could spot, be, on. Spot, right, on. spot on, spot right. on, spot on, spot on. And but this could be about 2008 to 2010. Yep, when we got Barack in office, gave uh, gave him all the votes he needed to pass any legislation from those two year period. They got everything, Obamacare and everything else. They won't pass, but nothing. Nope, Trump, but nothing. Trumps. You got Trump, and next you got yeah. Trump. See, you got this again. <laughs> again, I'm writing the campaigns for him. <laughs> somebody, call, somebody called Mr. Adam Curry and, and the Curry uh, political uh, yes, uh, uh, consultancy. Consulting, yes. yeah, yeah. So, um, just to counter Mr. Malcolm <clears throat> and explain how some people that I often agree with, I don't agree with on their stance on voting is Mr. One Neely Fuller. And we've played his clips before. He was so gracious to us to define what white supremacy was on yep. previous shows. Yeah. Um, but I want him to explain, he's going to explain voting with the slave ship analogy. It leads to some constructive things and a whole lot of non-constructive things. But when you consider the alternative, I use the slave ship analogy. 
if you're at the bottom of the slave ship, you know you're on a slave ship. But every now and then, some second lieutenant who is the slave master of the slave ship, some uh, person who is not the captain, maybe, comes down the ladder and say, well, the captain doesn't speak favorably of any of you people. After all, this is a slave ship. But uh, I argue with him about giving you a little more cornbread than you usually get. So I'm going to try to get it for you. I mean, if you'll just bear with me and try to cooperate and don't rally your chains too much down here, disturbing my sleep. So if you ought to just kind of keep quiet, I'll see to it that your rations are increased. Yeah, sounds about right. And this is why I have the utmost respect for Nilly Fuller, but this is why I disagree. He's he's in the mindset, well, a little bit more cornbread is better than the little piece of cornbread that we did have. Right. But he's also a boomer, so he he <laughs> he is different mindset. He is, yeah. but I rather keep his analogy, keep rattling my chains. Yeah, he's got some good ones in there. Right. I keep, I rather me personally rather keep rattling in my chains than to be bought off for another little few cr- more crumbs. Because I understand the power that was laid out in the clips by Malcolm X. Right. If there's real power, political power there, it's just that we and that's the best, have never realized it. And that's the best enslavement is when you, I mean, in general... All Americans, collectively, we have incredible power. We we are much more powerful than the government. But we, when, we do. But when you don't know it, when you've been taught not to think that way, when you're told that the people you elect are your leaders, that's one of my personal mm-hmm. peeves. Like, come on, they're not my leader. It's my employee. <laughs> you know, but that's that's been programmed for years and years and years. Thank God for podcasting. <laughs> all right so we've talked about why black people have voted democratic for, for the democrats uh, to close out i want to talk about why black people have not voted for the republicans and to do that i want to use one of our show favorites mr stephen a smith ah Stephen A. said that every black person in America should vote Republican for at least one election. Stephen A. Smith is joining me now. Stephen, who are you trying to send a message to? Republicans, Democrats, African-Americans, all of the above? I'd go with all of the above. That sounds about right. But specifically the Democratic Party from the standpoint that I definitely believe that the black vote has been taken for granted. And primarily the black community is is at fault in my estimation in that regard, simply because on one hand, we're giving one party our vote because they've successfully gone about the business of convincing our community that the other party, the Republican Party, is completely against the interest of the black community. And as a result, we've been very transparent 
transparent in our support. We've boarded hook, hook, line and sinker. We look at the Republican Party. I'm not talking about every single one of us, of course, but vast majority of black Americans look at the Republican Party as the enemy. We look at the Democratic Party, even tacitly, as our support base. And as a result, we are very transparent in our support for them. So because of it, they have a license to take us for granted. The Republican Party has a, light to, uh, a license to summarily dismiss us because they believe they'll never get our vote anyway. And then we end up finding ourselves devoid of any kind of representation whatsoever because nobody is really competing to garner our vote and our support. Well, that is very clear. <laughs> I thought he laid it out quite clear <laughs> yes. while we vote democratically or Democrat for the Democrats and while we don't vote for Republicans. I couldn't have said it any better myself. But of course, he had to go back oh. <laughs> oh. and had to recant his statements because... As he did a little, excuse me. As, oh, got a little, uh, little, have a little meeting right. over here in the corner office. I'd like was, to talk to you about what you said there on the show. Mm-hmm. Stephen A., can we talk to you in the office for a minute? Uh, you know that? And what he really wanted to say was, don't vote. I oh. think. Oh. <laughs> but, but you had to vote, but you had... They got to keep you voting. I think not voting is even saying to vote for the other party. I, let me tell you. It's less dangerous. You could not go on a mainstream television program and say, I recommend people not vote. Immediately, everyone will be uber patriot. How can you say that? This is the worst thing in the world. I can. No one could say it. Nobody can say that on, on mainstream television. Ever. And let's. Let's not forget that got Mr. Kaepernick canceled. That's right. Temporarily. There you go. By, by Mr. Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> so, I mean, I, yeah. You, you, so he was like, okay, we need to go the other direction. Uh, but then, he, you know, he had to come in and remind everybody that he was a black man. Oh, okay. After that, so. <laughs> Good. Thank, thank God. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. You idiots. Uh, so um, to close out the show. I have uh, some clips from a YouTube channel called Black Public Media, mm-hmm. and this and the video was entitled "Black Folks Don't Vote Republican." At one point, black folks did vote Republican. People like Zora Neale Hurston, for instance. You know, at the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln was Republican. Franklin uh, Delano Roosevelt ushered in shifts around how black people voted from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And then the father of the Tea Party came along, you know, it was a very Goldwater, and presented this whole extreme conservatism idea. And I think it sort of steered us away. Also, uh, the Republican community has done a poor job of reaching out to the black community and helping us understand their values as they have progressed over time. So we, we, we're just kind of used to voting. Mom was Democrat. Dad was Democrat. I'm Democrat. I'm a Democrat. They talk about the middle class or they don't ask you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps when you don't have boots. Democrats seem to, we want to share the wealth. You know, Republicans are like, no, it's mine. I work for this shit. This is mine. <laughs> oh, how old are these uh, fine people? It was at various different ages, but mm. most of them were maybe late, mid-30s to okay. uh, late 40s. But yeah. uh, one person said in that video, mom's a Democrat, dad's yeah, dad. a Democrat. Oh, I'm a Democrat. I'm yeah. a Democrat. Yeah. All right, so... And they even acknowledged that black folks started voting uh, Republican. Yeah. 
But that the that you could hear it didn't explicitly say it, but you could hear the Southern strategy. Oh yeah, mentality. Oh, it's in. in oh yeah, it's in there for sure. It, it was it was in there. I mean, they they were just oh, it just something happened. This miraculous switch. Happened. <laughs> I'm telling you, Kennedy assassination memory hole. <laughs> that's that's a fascinating fascinating observation. But uh, and I liken that to maybe uh, 9-11 the same way. I don't, oh, I don't want trauma, I digress, but trauma, trauma, of course. Yeah, the trauma, trauma. You know, everything else is a blur after that. I mean, because you can't even remember like we a lot of stuff. You, th- you you think you think it in TV clips. Exactly. But when you actually try to remember it. Yeah, it's really a blur. Um. So uh, the final clip. Uh, we have uh, black folks don't vote Republican too. Black folks don't vote Republican. Uh, for the large part, probably not in droves. I thankfully don't have any friends or family members that would vote Republican that I know of. If they are, they're closeted Republicans. <laughs> I honestly feel like there's a secret society of black Republican voters somewhere. I don't know who they are. They're not, there's like one in my family. I won't put her out there on front street like that, but. um. I think about the Ben Carsons of the world, the Michael Steele's of the world. What I've accepted is that any idea that comes out that's created by human beings, we're always gonna find someone to believe in it. Now the black people that vote Republican tend to be a little cray cray. Black folk don't vote Republican because we don't trust whitey. Okay, well, that's pretty clear then. The programming is working, Mo. We've the got programming them. is... <laughs> it's successful. They're closeted. Yeah, oh Could yeah. Could you imagine to say, I, because I vote a political way... You're closeted, man. In the time we live in where everybody's accepted, you know... Intersectionality. Every, intersectionality. Kumbaya, yep. Share. But, but we'll you share. have to be cray-cray. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be cray-cray to vote Republican. And I'm not calling her out. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right, I'm not going to out him. <laughs> not going to out him out of the closet for being Republican. And that, to, to summarize, well, either you have to vote yeah, if you ha- you have to vote. Let me just let me just tell you something from, from Cracker Nation over here. Uh, <laughs> I, I was at the the hair salon. That is, uh, believe it or not, Mo, mm-hmm. political conversation takes place in the hair salon, just like the barber shop, except my hair salon is filled with women. And okay, and I now now the the woman who who does my hair. We talk politics, you know. We're we're not on the same page, but we both agree. She's very, she sees the show. Uh, mm-hmm. So a woman next to us overhears it without really being prompted. She just steps and she says, "Oh my god, let me just tell you, I don't need, I don't know where you stand politically, but one of my clients, he said, I, if I had stage four cancer, I'd get a gun and go kill the motherfucker." So this kind of idiocy is everywhere. Across all lines and boundaries, in barbershops, and it's shops. making people sick, and it's, it's making, making people very sick. sick, very. It's very making sick. people sick, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'll, I'll make this my last statement. Uh, we, we lost Elijah Cum- a Cummings, a few, maybe a few months ago, a month ago, mm-hmm. and we heard the tragic news. Yes, about um, his name slips my mind now. Uh. Yes, pancreatic the cancer. Cummings uh, doppelganger. Uh, what's his name? 
Oh, you, 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 this is, you shouldn't have done this to me. Lewis, Lewis, ah. Lewis, Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. John Lewis. John Lewis. Damn. So. It was only at no, Selma. Just, you, you don't have to remember that. It's not important. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I want to point out that people are being, getting sick. Exactly. Exactly. Stage four pancreatic cancer. Just let that sink in. Two congressmen that have been heavy anti-Trumpers have calling him fallen. a racist. One, calling him a racist. One's dead, and the other one is has a severe, uh, severe illness. And, and how many other yeah. uh, talk uh, media uh, people have be, been announced? You know, in the last I, three years I this is so interesting. I've been talking about this being unhealthy for so long, and I and you just brought it up again. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are now into year four of mm-hmm. of of this, and it, it's. I I think I identified it early on. Certainly, people who hate Trump, no matter what their political affiliation, they started swearing and cussing more on TV and radio and podcasts. Just, yes. And it's popping out and it's like, ooh, and it's become a little more okay. And and I always saw that as incredible. If you can't hold that back in a in a situation where it's not appropriate on this show, it's appropriate. You know, we don't overuse anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But on, on television, cable news, it's not appropriate. And when you can't hold that in, then you've got stuff rooted very deeply. And when you hold that in and you're holding that for years, I think you... you and, I'm going to keep track of this. People are going to start dropping. It's these old guys first, and mm-hmm. they, and, they and sur- you can see the young ones aging. Yes, you can see them aging right before your eyes. And and the reason why Holy I bring shit. this up yeah. is the V for V, the value for value. Even if you think we're two idiots just babbling along, what we try to do is this: we laugh. You know, we 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 want to talk people down off the ledge. Uh, while while uh, get providing some educational value, so if you don't take anything away from the show to but to laugh about the things that we talk about, or to, you know just have a little fun for a couple hours, th- you know that's the value that I hope that we provide. If nothing else, if you don't take anything else away from the show, and what we'd like to ask for in return is that you consider returning some of that value. It's actually a very simple exercise. It's like, mm-hmm. so you've been listening to this for about an hour and a half, a little bit longer. Uh, what is your time worth? Uh, if you go see a movie, it's about, we're about the length of a movie. Did you come away from this learning something and you still laughed? Please consider us at mofundme.com, moefundme.com. Mofa- Mofax.com is uh, our, our, uh, our main website. And Mo, I think uh, you've set everybody up for perfect 2020. Um, I, I, I'd like to ask you one question before we go, having, having, sure. uh, you know, ha- having gone through this journey with you, mm-hmm. do you think this is the year that the block, regardless of what happens, the black block B2, B squared mm-hmm. realizes, realizes what power it has. Will the, is this realization going to be mainstream enough? I think it only takes a certain percentage and then the rest of the block will follow. So the way I say that is, if you can get 20, 25% to realize it, then the rest will go along. 
And that's very, and I think we're reaching that nexus point of, because you're hearing the different groups have these conversations. You're hearing it come from the uh, the conservative side, the super woke uh, millennial side of the, the uh, I'm not going to vote unless I get something tangible side, which I, I which I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. We're all coming to the same point from different angles. And I think once we get there and we see the results of it, somebody's going to have to come talk to us. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, for me, it'll be interesting to see not whether uh, you'll see a, a block vote for Democrats or with withheld vote. I think mm-hmm. I think we may even see withheld vote or something goes to Trump. I think that's where it may be. Because if we hit that 55 percent mark of, of the low all time low 50, 55 percent mark, it's open season for the block. Now, could I entertain? Could I make one suggestion? Sure. Instead of withholding, I mean, the tangible is a free pony from the guy with the boot on his head, Ver, Vermin Supreme. Right. Because he, he's promising everybody a pony. That maybe <laughs> maybe it's a tangible that may be a guy to vote for. I have voted for him in the past, so I'd just like you to consider that. Who was this guy? <laughs> You've never heard of Vermin Supreme? <laughs> no. He's a real candidate. I'll, I'll, I'll have to Google <laughs> He wears a boot on his head and promises everybody a pony. He runs every year. He's a great candidate to vote for. Well, he throw 40 acres in with that pony. He might have my vote. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a have a great uh, a great New Year. Mo uh, was fantastic. This you, this show has made my year uh, fantastic. I, I love the work you do. I love working with you, and I can't wait until our next show in twenty twenty. Show twenty, the first show of twenty twenty. Just let that soak in. And as I always say, pay attention to everything, and the truth will reveal itself. I'll talk to you next year, Mo. All right, see you next year, Adam. Remember, MoFacts.com. Bye, everybody. I know you don't love me. And there may be someone else. And as I sit alone here at home, knowing what I should do, I find I can't stay away from you. I can't stay away from you.
tears in my eyes. And as you ask, 